Yeah, thanks. Hey, give a hand to the to the band. They they practice a lot, and uh, we have a guest appearance. Nora's sister Meredith is here, all the way from Tennessee, just to play that part right there. That's awesome. So we're glad you're here. Um, let me turn this down a little bit. Get some feedback. Hey, well, I'm glad you're here. I know it's a busy week. There's debate. There's a debate going on tonight. Uh, there's pennant fever going on tonight. The Baltimore Orioles are playing. There's midterms. But you guys came out, so thanks for being here. Um, glad you're here. We're, we've been talking about um, relationships, uh, marriage, dating, sexuality this semester. And tonight we're going to deal with this issue of friendship. Uh, biblical friendship. And, uh, you know, one of the things as we go through this, these ideas of, of dating and, and marriage and those sorts of things, um, we want to make it clear that, um, you know, what we're ultimately talking about is building friendships uh, with people that ultimately you want to uh, develop a friendship with a person and so you marry your best friend. And uh, before we get into that tonight, I wanted to kind of clarify something. And as I was talking with uh, Logan uh, this week, um, one of the things I want to make sure uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about this kind of paradigm or this picture of dating as a roller coaster, or it's like two people locked into their seats and they're kind of ratcheting up as they go on their first date, second date, third date, or whatever. And it's kind of like they come out of the chute and they start going up the hill. And there's basically only two options. You either get married or break up. Okay? And that could have sounded very daunting uh, to many of you. I mean, there is only kind of two ends where this thing is going. It's either going, it's either going to the altar or it's, it's not going to the altar. And that would be a breakup. But that could also sound like, gosh, that's like, like I'm not even going to like even think about asking anybody out because like those, those ideas are so like hard that I just can't do anything. And so you might just be paralyzed with that. And so I want to, um, talk about this little, this, this picture, this kind of metaphor that, that Logan was talking about. He said that, that dating is kind of like, uh, I didn't ask you if I could do this, but I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great picture. See, I get my wisdom from Logan and Christy. I just talk to them and then they tell me, um, uh, but he said it's kind of like picking a class. So, you know, so like, I think you mentioned like engineering 101 or something like that, or, or just picking a major. So like you, you pick this major and you go to that class, like you, uh, you know, you commit yourself to going to that first class like that. And, uh, you go there and you sit in that lecture and maybe say it's like chemistry or something. And, uh, you know, for some of you, like, you're just going to hit it off with chemistry. You're going to love it. It's like, you know, molecular, ionic, like, covalent, whatever, plus and minuses, atoms all running around together in joyous harmony. I mean, it's going to hit you and you're going to love it. And you're, you might even want to become a chemist and you want to go and do that major and you're committed and every class is like a new joy and you're, you're loving it. For others of you, that major that you picked originally is going to be the bane of your existence. And like, you're going to find out very quickly that like, you're just not hitting it off. Like, you're not seeing eye to eye. You're not, you're not in there. And so, uh, I think that's a really good analogy. And, and so, to some extent, you know, 
you should try to get to know a lot of people. You should try to build friendships and go out and have fun and do things with a lot of different people. Um, so that you, so that you see, like, who you connect with. And who you don't connect with. And so, yeah, that takes risk. You know, it takes faith. Uh, but to some extent, uh, you know, when you sign up for class, you gotta sign up for class and you gotta go and you gotta show up and you gotta see how it goes. And so, I just thought that was a great thing. So, basically, date a lot. Uh, and, and so, don't think that, gosh, if I ask this person out, like that next date, I've gotta decide whether or not I'm gonna marry them or, or break up with them. Like, you don't have, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Enjoy people. Get to know people. Enjoy the curriculum, so to speak. Okay? <laughs> Get to know people. Talk to them. Understand them. See what the Lord might do. Um, and uh, you might really hit it off. And, uh, and then that will go as God directs you. But tonight we're going to kind of um, uh, talk about this idea of friendship. because, um, And this can really be... This is really... Just biblical friendship is what I want to try to cover. And uh, this, is, this is applicable, obviously, to dating and to guy-girl relationships, but also same-sex relationships, guy-guy-girl-girl, like developing what does it mean to truly be a friend. And uh, for that tonight, we're going to go look at um, this example of David and Jonathan's friendship in the Old Testament. So we're actually going to look at this text uh, in, in 1 Samuel. And uh, read about when David and Jonathan first met. And some of these principles, I believe, that come out of here uh, are going to be really good for us uh, as we look at that. But one of the things I wanted to start with before I read that is uh, in Keller's book, Tim Keller. In fact, a lot of what I do um, in these talks is really coming from this book right here. So if you want a good book, and you can just read this book and you don't have to come to anything. No. Um, <laughs> But uh, he says this about friendship, and he's talking about C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, basically, a friend is someone... Lewis insisted that the essence of friendship is the exclamation, You too? While erotic love can be depicted as two people looking at each other face-to-face, friendship can be depicted as two people standing side-by-side side looking at the same object and being stirred and entranced by it together. Lewis speaks of a secret thread that runs through the books, movies, art, music, pastimes, ideas, and scenery that most deeply move us. When we meet another person who shares this thread with us, there is a potential for a real friendship, if nurtured with transparency and constancy. Then he says this, Friendship arises, this is from Lewis, when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. As Emerson said, do you love me means do you see the same truth, or at least do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance can be our friend. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the, to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I don't care about the truth. I only want you to be my friend. No friendship can arise. Friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. 
And so we're looking for those commonalities. And I think as we look at this passage today, you're going to see not just commonalities, but also this idea of commitment. So hear God's word from 1 Samuel 18, and we'll kind of dive in here. And just the context of this is David has just come on the scene. He's been anointed in chapter 16 by Samuel. The king at this point is Saul. He's the first king of Israel. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, Saul was really a two-faced king. Um, at first, it seemed like he was going to serve God. and But then he turns away from the Lord. And so the Lord, uh, through Samuel, then anoints David to be the king as just a boy. Chapter 17 is that great story about David and Goliath. Uh, David coming on the scene and defeating the giant. And so right after that, uh, here we have chapter 18. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read 1 to 5. As soon as he had finished speaking, this was David, to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's the son of Saul, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This ends a reading of God's holy word. You know, one of the one of the saddest uh, meetings I ever had with a student was was with a girl that went here, and uh, she was engaged to be married. And uh, as she was approaching this, her her fiance at this point was not living in the same city. He wasn't here, but they were getting ready to be married. But as we talked, um, she she you know she was from a strong. Uh, a strong home in terms of uh, a home that uh, believed in the Lord, a strong church. And uh, But what she said to me as she prepared for wedding day was, um, I don't have any close girlfriends. I don't know who's going to stand with me at the altar. I just thought, gosh, that is, that is sad. Who is going to stand with me as I make these vows? to my husband. And I thought, you know, this, this, is, this is sad, but I think that that picture and that, that idea uh, is very telling about friendships in general in our society. Um, that it's hard to have close friends. Uh, that we are very busy people. That we are consumed with our classes, our grades, our GPAs, um, we're consumed with climbing the, you know, the, the educational ladder when we get out of here. Our society is so fast. Our culture is so fast. Um, jobs, um, making money, just trying to survive. Uh, your life can become, you know, like fast forward. And some of these issues of developing friendships and really getting to know people and spending time and sacrifice and the time it takes to develop friends get pushed to the side. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there 
and you're wondering who is going to stand with me, I don't know who's going to be my bridesmaids. You know, I think that as we look at the Scripture, uh, and as we look at these ideas of friendship, that God, that God would have us really think about these things seriously. That we would really value friendship, that we would develop friendships with other people, that we would take the time uh, to really do uh, <laughs> the hard work of building friendships. And it is hard. We, we kind of tend to think that friendships just come easy, you know, like I meet people, I'm around all these people, I'm in college, I'm like with my peers, and it just seems like... And then all of a sudden, you leave college, and you're in a city, and you don't know anybody, and it's really hard, because you miss maybe what you had in college. Um, you know, what we're really trying to do at RUF is just try to display... Um, what we believe the scriptures are talking about in terms of friendships. That's why we do small groups. That's why we try to build community. That's why we do stupid little icebreakers. You know, we get. To, that's why we do name tags. I mean, we try to like say, guess what? There's a big, it's a big campus. There's 37,000 people here, and probably the number one problem is loneliness. People not feeling connected. And so we're trying, by God's grace, to try to <laughs> break down some of those walls and build friendships. And think about what that is. Uh, Eugene Peterson kind of does a commentary on this whole section of, of David's life. And here's what he says in this section about friendship. You may have seen that. I posted it. Friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting, he says. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. And, you know, what we're talking about here tonight can be applied to both Christians and I would say, and, and people that are unbelievers, people that maybe are checking things out. But in the Christian worldview, um, we are especially talking about uh, friendship as as a commitment as as more than just like hey we like the same movies or we like the same records or CDs uh, we 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 like you know like we all like Coldplay we like you know Cold Stone and we hate the cold weather you know we're not just talking about you know these commonality things but we're ultimately talking about the commitment that Christian friendship brings in terms of being transparent with one another, really getting to know each other, getting to know below the surface of like what your real motives are, getting to know like who you are, what your issues are, what your problems are, what your sin is. I mean, Christian friendship has like incredible power of grace in your life. And that's why all through the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is calling the church together. He's calling the church to, be, to become a community, to share with one, or one another, to fellowship with one another, to break bread in their homes with one another, to get to know one another. That Christianity is a community. It's a friendship with the Lord Jesus, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also with one another in the body of Christ. It's a family. It's a new family. And so the power of friendship rests in there. But... As we think, think about this, let me just ask a question. What is true friendship? And from this passage, let's go back to that. Friendship is, number one, about delighting in another. 
It's about delighting. It's, it's, to some extent, a mutual admiration society. I think I've mentioned that before. But as you look at this passage, um, in verse 1 and 3, as soon as he had finished, David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then in verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Loved him as his own soul. There's something really powerful going on here that when Jonathan sees David, he is drawn to him. There's something attractive about him. There's something he admires and he delights in and he wants to get close to him and he wants to get to know him. And he wants to be his friend. And they they hit it off immediately. So what had just happened? Well, I think Jonathan is seeing a lot here. There's a lot of commonalities And just think about chapter 17. I'm just going to review it. But one of the things that happens is David comes on the scene and he's just this scrawny little shepherd boy delivering pizza basically to his brother, bread and cheese. And uh, and what he sees is Goliath, this giant, mocking the people of Israel. And he sees Israel cowering in fear. And he sees Goliath shouting out taunts and cursing cursing the God of Israel and it ticks him off and he has this righteous anger that he is ready in his scrawny little body to go and fight against the giant. That's admirable. Jonathan is seeing this. Everybody else in the army, all the old guys are sitting back cowering in fear. They're not doing anything. And here comes... This little shepherd boy delivering the pizza, and he sees exactly what's going on by faith, and he goes and he says to Saul, like, I want to go take him, but he doesn't have anything. So what's he, so he's got all this righteous anger, and he's got this courageous faith, and he has this real relationship with God that led him to action. You remember the story, um, you know, when he's trying to convince Saul that he could do it, he said, hey, my Lord is with me, basically paraphrased, like, he helps me when I'm shepherding to kill the bear and the lion, you know, take it by the neck and club it in the head. And I can do the same thing to this Philistine, Goliath. And so, sure enough, I mean, he just has all this faith. And, you know, Saul gives him all his armor, but it's too big for him, you know, and uh, his sword. And he says, no, just give me my sling. And he goes and picks, you know, five stones, five smooth stones, you know. And he goes out there and confronts uh, Goliath. And, and what's he say? He preaches to him. He says, You come to me with a sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And I will strike you down and cut off your head, <laughs> that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. So what is going on? He's preaching truth. Jonathan sees this. Jonathan, Jonathan's heart is encouraged by David's faith. Okay, he's admiring this. He's delighting in this. Um, next thing you know, you know, he 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 goes with that with that sling and nails him in the head, and he kills him. Then he takes the sword and cuts off uh, Goliath's head. And there's this huge victory, and uh, it's courageous. It's bloody, and it's amazing. And uh, the Lord routs 
uh, the Philistines when they see that the, their, their leader is killed. And so, what are you seeing here? But Jonathan is seeing the faith of David. And he's admiring this. He's delighting in it. He's not just any warrior, but he has a real relationship with God. And he is uh, displaying that. And Jonathan is attracted to that. And uh, he's delighting in that. And so immediately, uh, he wants to befriend him. It's like, I want you on my team, dude. <laughs> you know, I want to get to know you. I can see all of this, and I, and I, want, I want what you have, so to speak. And the Lord begins this, this powerful friendship that lasts through several, several chapters and really to the end of Jonathan's life. And there's other commonalities too. You know, they're both soldiers. They're both, well, they're, they're both soldiers now. But, uh, you know, they're army guys. They fought battles together. But again, it's not just about the war stories. It's about Jonathan is seeing the deep character and the faith of David, and he's attracted to that, and he wants that for himself as well. And, uh, and so, just in this first point, um, you know, developing friendships, whether with believers or with unbelievers, is all about um, admiring them. It's all about saying, I, I'm encouraged by what I see in your life. Um, in fact, in Philippians 4, um, there's this statement that my, one of my professors, Jaron Bars, talks about. He says, uh, whatever is true, when you see people, do you see things to commend in them? Um, do you see things that are commendable that encourage you? You should tell them that. You should, because those become the basis of, of your friendships with people. Um, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So one question is, as you think about the people around you, are you noticing uh, the amazing qualities of people? People are made in the image of God. and uh, Or are you just like so stuck into your internal world of you know, grades and study and school that you just don't look outside to like appreciate people. As Christians, we're called to really notice. We're called to engage. We're called to love people. We're called to notice these things and be encouragers to these things. And and especially if you're thinking about like how should, how can I develop friendships with unbelievers? How can well guess what? Every unbeliever has certain qualities, like good commendable qualities. Maybe. Maybe they're an atheist, but man, they really love the poor or they're into social justice. Like, that's something you can latch onto and like commend them and like build a friendship with. You know, you can encourage them. You can talk to them about that and you can see the commonalities. Friendships are about admiring and delighting in one another. And it, and one of the things is if you, if you, uh, um, um, where am I here? Oh, one of the things about that is you might say, well, um, it's, it's interesting how quick this friendship happened with Jonathan and David. Well, he saw those things right away through this huge event. Okay, Now, for people, sometimes you don't see those things right away. And you, it takes time. But people are made in the image of God, and these qualities are going to come out the longer you stick around them. You're going to see their, you know, 
their gifts, their qualities, their communication skills, whatever it is, their musical talents, their art, artistic talents. And these are things you can, you can commend and get to know. Um, this is what brought Jonathan and David together. They delighted in one another. And so, you know, the first thing is, are you delighting in people? Are you noticing them? Are you commending them? Uh, are you um, establishing these friendships of, of admiring them and, and thinking through who they are? You know, for Christian friendships, we have an essential commonality. And that is the faith. We have the fact that Jesus, we all have this commonality of we believe in Jesus. We believe that He came and died on the cross for sinners. And that He's coming back again. That He's going to make this whole world new. And He's going to take all the sin and the ugliness and the pain and the suffering and the tears. He's going to build a new world. And it's going to be beautiful. And we both have the same common vision, the common faith. And so, for Christian friendship, we have the incredible... Uh, bonus of, of this shared commonality that we can um, encourage one another in and point one another to. And ultimately, this fellowship with the Father and the Son. And in First John, it says, this is what John is writing about. He's saying to the church, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And then he says this, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, and he's talking for, on behalf of of all the disciples, the apostles. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The joy for them was having this fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and giving that joy and fellowship to the church and telling them, hey, we don't want to be alone. We want you inside this, uh, uh, this fellowship that we have. That's what friendship is. And for the Christian, friendship is connected with this deep commonality that we have in the faith. Um, So are you getting your eyes off yourself? Are you admiring um, one another? Um, Are you delighting in people? Um, And it takes time for this to happen. It doesn't come overnight. Um, In this story, it comes right away. And for some people, you're going to hit it off right away. You're like, oh yeah, like we love baseball. We do all these things together. This guy's, you know, he's amazing. He's funny or whatever. And you're going to hit it off. And you're going to develop a friendship. But it can also then drop off the table. Because we're selfish. And because we so quickly turn to ourselves and our own agendas. And we forget about the people around us. And so it's interesting in this passage... What we have is Jonathan does something pretty amazing. He immediately uh, makes a covenant with David. And so strong friendship is about committed love. Okay? Strong friendship is about delighting. That's number one. But strong friendship is also about committed love. It says here, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. It's not just that Jonathan admired and delighted in David and like, man, you really throw, you know, you really killed that giant with that sling. That was awesome, dude. But it was, it was deeper. And he, he wanted to make a commitment to him to love him and to, to, uh, to be a friend for life. 
And so in the Bible, there's this word covenant that's used often in the Old Testament especially. And the Hebrew actually means to cut a covenant. So interestingly enough, what they would have done right here is they would have taken an animal, they would have severed it in two, they would have split the pieces, and they would have walked arm in arm down this gauntlet of bloody animals parts. Okay, it's kind of sick. But basically what they were saying, and this is in the, in the, in the, in the ancient Eastern world, they were saying, if I don't uphold my end of the covenant in this friendship being committed to you, may it be to me like these animals on the ground. Okay, that's what they were saying. Like, this is serious. This is, this is like BFF on steroids. Okay, this is, this is like Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, Blood, blood Brothers, like to the hundredth exponential something. Okay? They are, he is making a commitment here um, that he is going to befriend David and that David is going to befriend Jonathan. Um, now, just to be straight, this is not, this is not a, a romantic or, a, or sexual in any way, but this is a committed brotherly love friendship that's going on. How do we know that? Because we know that later on, um, you know, David would have Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, as his wife, and he would have uh, obviously several other wives as well. Jonathan is the king's son, okay? He is Saul's son. Now, what's amazing is that, um, that through this relationship, there would be lots of trials and there would be lots of risks uh, that would come about. Okay, um, it gets tricky as the story unfolds. If you if you've read these stories and they're wonderful stories to read, um, Saul gets incredibly envious and jealous of David, and uh, he brings David into his home. And then he hears a song on the radio: "Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands." And that one song that the women of Israel were singing about this incredible feat of killing Goliath like made him so angry that literally right after he he has David come and live with him he tries to kill him and about six times Saul tries to kill David in his house and so you have Jonathan who is the heir apparent who's the son of Saul and he's the one basically in between mediating and kind of the advocate. And at some, at some points, he is literally arguing with his father Saul to like, to, to try to convince him and bring him back from his anger and killing David. There's a great story in chapter 20 where it all comes to a head where, um, he literally finds out that no, Saul is going to kill him. And that's the story where that David's out in the field and he shoots arrows out to like, uh, signify that David needs to leave and get out of town because Saul and his men are out to kill him. And he, remember, if you remember, he shoots the arrows beyond the stone, and that meant that he needed to leave. And they, they, so after the little boy came in, they both hugged each other and wept. And again, it talks about how they lo- they loved one another, and they just had this this committed uh, this friendship. And uh, and so a lot of the time. Uh, Jonathan is in the midst of this commitment. It gets really hard uh, to follow through with this commitment. In fact, that time right before he tries to kill David, it says this, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan because he was protecting David. And he said to him, 
You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Next, Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan to strike him. So literally, his anger became so enraged that uh, Saul is trying to kill Jonathan, his own son. Love and commitment go together. And love and commitment, when, when there's commitment, there's going to be trials and there's going to be risks that happen uh, throughout your life. Uh, it's going to bring, um, it's going to bring uh, trials that you may not know what that means. Um, but uh, what you have here is that Jonathan wanted to make this covenant with David even though it was risky. Even though it was going to mean blood to some extent. And this is what brought them together. And this is why there's, you know, there's stories, you know, we all love the Lord of the Rings. And, uh, you know, you think about that story. What makes that story so good? Well, it's, it's the hobbits. You know, it's, it's their friendship. It's the fellowship of the ring, right? It's, it's Frodo, Baggins, and, and, uh, Mary, and Sam Wise Gamgees, and, and, uh, who's, and Pippin, okay? And like, they're there in the Shire. And then there's the ring that shows up. You know, and what are they gonna do with this ring? And so then, you know, they, they find out from Gandalf that they need to like get rid of that ring, take it to Mordor and destroy it. And so it becomes this, their, this commitment to one another of friendship that they're gonna stick with one another, they're gonna help Frodo get rid of this ring. And it just builds and, uh, they, through this mission that they're on, through this, through this common, you know, goal that they have, their friendships build and their commitment to one another builds. And, uh, and this is why like war movies like Saving Private Ryan are so good and the Band of Brothers, if you've ever seen that, because it's like they, they have this common goal. All these different people are getting together, but they're committed to one another in the midst of that battle, uh, even through hard times. And uh, at the end of The Lord of the Rings, some people don't like that because it's too slow or whatever, but I really like it because it's like slow-mo in the Shire, you know, and they're just like looking at each other. And it's and they're celebrating with like I guess the Shire beer, you know, and uh, and they're it's kind of like a dream state, but you know, isn't that what friendships are about? It's about like celebr it's about having that committed relationship through the years and like celebrating the joys of of and and the victories and also shedding tears shedding tears in the losses. You know, and it's and it's just. I think they, you know, is it Peter? Uh, what's his name? He captures that in that Peter Jackson captures that, like in those scenes. And it's real slow, but it's like, yes, it's like victory. You know, they did it, and they did it together, and they were committed to one another. And uh, to some extent, you know, with Jonathan and David, that's what you have. You have this commitment that carries through. All the trials, they loved one another. They were, they were advocates for one another. And it's a picture of committed friendship and love. So, so as you think about your friendships, how committed are you? How committed are you? And, uh, I'm not talking about cutting animals in half and, you know, spilling blood, but, 
You know, are you committed to your friends? To the ones that you have? Like, do you talk to them? Do you make time for them? You know, the ones, your roommates, the ones maybe you're just getting to know here at the University of Maryland. Like, you know what? Some of my best friends in the world happened in college. And you know what? I hardly see these guys, but like, they're, they're my, they're my close friends. Even though they're married, they live in other states. Um, you know, there's something about friendship that lasts. But the question is, are you committed to the relationships, to checking in, to communicating, um, to saying no to the world that says, you know what, I'm just here a few years and then I'm gone and I'm not going to invest in people. Um, you know, the heart of Christianity is investing in people. Love God, love other people. Serve other people. Sacrifice for other people. Lay down your life for other people. Go through trials with other people. Shed tears with people. Die for people. That's the heart of the Gospel message and the heart of what Jesus did. So are you committed? Are you committed to the believers around you? You know, whether it's in this ministry or another ministry, you know, do you have a small group? Do you have some people that you're saying, guess what? I know I got a huge week, but guess what? Getting with those people for that hour and praying with them, reading the Bible a little bit, joking around, that's important. That's something that you will remember. And that's the foundation of of true friendship and true uh, and the church and you know if you're a Christian, uh, um, you know you do something like this covenant ceremony when you become a member of a church. You know when you become a member of a church, it's a simple statement of faith. Yes, I believe in Jesus. You know, and then you take a vow that you're like going to pray for the church. You're going to pray for the elders. You're going to like be committed to it. You know and um, you know, the, you're, you're, you're basically, it's like Lord of the Rings. You're like, this is the fellowship right here. This is, this is my goal. I'm, I'm a Jesus people and I'm, I'm gonna be with these people and, you know, some of them smell and they can't sing and they, you know, just like I can't and, you know, but these are the people that God has put and this is the local church. And so, church, to some extent, is, is really that expression of, the fellowship that God wants to have for us. I mean, we're not the official church here. We're kind of an extension of the church. But, um, but you know, that's also too the Lord's Supper. Like as you think about church, the Lord's Supper is the communion of saints. You know, communion with the Lord and with one another. When you come to the Lord's Supper, it's not done alone. You don't go have. I'm going to go have the Lord's Supper alone. You can't. That's not biblical. You're supposed to have the Lord's Supper with other people in the church. Because it's all about like getting your like if if there's sin in your life or issues in your life like you need to deal with them and then come take the Lord's Supper, you know, and uh, and so so much of the church is about this commitment we have to one another and it goes totally against our culture. It's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible's true because if our culture came up with the Bible and the Lord's Supper and baptism like we wouldn't come up with it those ideas because they're all about 
sacrificing commitment. When a baby is baptized at the church or when somebody's baptized, we say, we stand and say, I'm going to help those parents like raise that child in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. Or basically saying, I'm I'm committed to this person. It's not just any baby. It's not just any person, but this is a person that I'm committed to and I'm going to pray for and get to know and love. And so church and church membership you know, and thinking through those things, those are important things. And those, those are things that get you ready for, for marriage. Marriage. It's not just having a dog or a cat or feeding your fish that gets you ready for marriage. But joining the church is a, is a step to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to actually say, I'm not going to shop around. I'm going to like commit to these people and, and get myself in there. And guess what? It's going to form you. It's going to form your character. It's going to form your... The way you look at life, it's going to change your heart. It's going to make you a committed person. All right, third thing is this. Friendship is about giving up self and sacrificing your agenda. And so what we have in this story again is is Jonathan really being a blessing and, and giving up his self. And so as the story goes on, this is the last thing. Um, Verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the, of the robe that was on him, gave it to David, his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And then it says, And David went out and was successful. Whoever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. Something really remarkable is going on. It's not just that, hey, I got, like, John, or David, I noticed you don't have a belt, you don't have a robe, you don't have a sword. Like, just use mine. Here they are. There was something going on here. And what it was, Ralph Davis, the commentary says, this was significant and surprising. Significant because the clothes signify the person and his position. Hence, Jonathan renounces his position as crown prince and transfers, so far as his own will goes, the right of succession to the throne to David. He goes on to say, no one in the Near East would do that. You did not transfer your crown rights to an upcomer. You eliminated him. Basically, what Jonathan is saying here is that I can see by faith that you ultimately should be the king of Israel. Now, he didn't know as of yet that David had been anointed by Samuel. But he could see by faith that David was the anointed of the Lord by his faith and all these things. And so he literally blesses him. He gives him everything he has. He gives him his sword. gives him everything. And it's not just you need these things. It's I'm giving up my right to the throne. And he was the natural heir. Remember, he's Saul's firstborn son. So he was the one who would be the heir. But instead, Jonathan says, no, I give it all to David. I give it all away. Jonathan was in line to be the future king. And he says, no, I'm going to abdicate and I'm going to seek David's well-being. I'm going to give it to him. And so true friendship is blessing. It's, it's saying, I'm going to step out of the way is number one. I'm going to make you number one. It's blessing another person. It's saying, I'm going to get my, my eyes off myself. And I'm going, to, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to think about you and your needs. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Um, 
you're seeking another person's blessing. You're trying to say, um, I want to encourage you. I want to help you. Uh, I want to serve you. And we have this all through the Gospels, especially when we, when we look to Jesus, because He says, you know, greater love has no one in this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give His life a ransom for many. And again, spiritual friendship in, in the Christian faith is, is all about seeking to serve another person and seeking to um, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent of my selfishness and I'm going to try to bless you and encourage you and, and figure out what's going on in your life. And so, think about this for yourself. How do you treat your friends? You know, do you seek to serve them? Or is it just you're talking about yourself all the time? Do you listen in terms of your conversations? You know, do you ask questions and then shut up? Or are you just so busy going to a class and you got you're just like, hey, how you doing? Like, and then you leave. Do you listen? That's a way to serve people. Uh, time. That's a way to serve people. Do you give people your time? Do you like have a one-on-one with somebody? Um, encourage them. Build them up. Or are you a drain to them? Um, do you sacrifice your status, so to speak? Because that's really what's going on here. Jonathan is literally sacrificing his status and saying, uh, you, I'm going to put you as the king, and I'm going I'm to be your servant. I'm going to sacrifice for you. Um, and part of this is, like, do you sacrifice your own well-being? Because, some, because Christian friendships, friendships are hard. And sometimes you have to like, talk to people about things in their life that you see, if you're close enough to them, sin issues. Christian friendship is not just, hey, everybody's doing great. Christian friendship is like calling people on the carpet. In Proverbs it says, you know, um, the wounds of a friend are, are uh, like healing balm. You know, and, and what he's getting at is like, we need to be rebuked sometimes because we're sinners and we need, we can't see our sin and so we need people. And so Christian friendship is about transparency. Um, in fact, I wanted to read, uh, in Keller's book, he says, Christian friends are not only to honestly confess their own sins to each other, but they are to lovingly point out their friend's sins if he or she is blind to them. You should give your Christian friends, quote, hunting license to confront you if you're failing to live in line with your commitments. Christian friends are to stir one another up, even provoking one another to, to get them off dead center. This isn't to happen infrequently, but should happen at a very concrete level every day. Hebrews is all about this. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 3. Christian friends admit wrongs, offer or ask forgiveness, take steps to reconcile when one disappoints another. Um, the other thing he mentions is Christian constancy, that we bear each other's burdens. You know, we share in the struggles and the tears, and we come alongside and we help one another. So, think about your friendships. Do you see these things happening in your friend friendships? Or are you just on the surface all the time? Uh, because Jesus wants you to get deep. He wants you to, like, have a come to Jesus talk. You know, he wants you to think about like your life and your issues, and and we're and lovingly help one another because you got the same issues. 
You know, and so we're supposed to be this big band of brothers and sisters who are encouraging one another to glorify God and and to live in Him. Now, as I wrap this up, um, you know, one of the things as I was going through this is like, gosh, I can't do this. I'm horrible at my friendships. I'm horrible at following up. I'm horrible at calling my friends and like keeping up with them. And uh, like, I'm not a good. I'm you know, I'm horrible at commitment. I'm horrible at at uh, delighting in people and encouraging them and noticing things. And, and you know what? We can't do any of these things in our own strength. You know, and, and the glory of the Gospel is this whole story with Jonathan and David is pointing to the ultimate friendship that God has with us in Jesus Christ. Because these things that Jonathan is doing here are foreshadowing the same things that the Lord Jesus did for us. Okay? And we weren't His friends. The Bible says we were His enemies. There really wasn't anything to to delight in us in. Because we were His enemies and we shook our fists at Him, we could care less. And Jesus laid aside the glories of heaven. Laid aside His garments. Puts on flesh. Comes and suffers in poverty lives a perfect life, loves people to the cross. And that's the ultimate expression that He sacrifices Himself. He lays down His life to gain friendship with His enemy so that we would become His friends and so that then we would have the power and the ability to be friends with other people. And so, as you think about your friendships and you're just like, man, I'm horrible at friendships. We have a Savior who loved us, who died for sinners, and He empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And He changes us so that we can then, by His grace, love other people and serve other people and talk to other people and step out and risk for other people and sacrifice for other people and go on big adventures with other people for His glory. And and He will He binds us together in that fellowship. You know, He's the... (laughs) He's the one who, who did this all. He's, he's the one who lays aside everything in order to rescue us, in order to serve us, uh, and to give us hope uh, in the midst of our, of our darkness. Um, John 15, Jesus says this, No longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank You that You are the friend that sticks closer to than a brother. Uh, that You left heaven to make friends. <laughs> uh, and You said in Hebrews that it was the joy, the joy set before Him You endured the cross and the joy there is Your people, us. That You had joy in Your heart even when You were going to the cross because You were saving us from ourselves and from our selfishness to make us more like You, to make us people that can be friends. And so, Lord, wherever people are tonight in terms of their friendships, um, Lord, maybe there needs to be more soul-searching. Just are You really living a a life that is relationally oriented and, and trying to love people and seek to serve people? Lord, help us where we're at. Um, give us Jesus. Give us the Gospel. Uh, Help us to love as You have loved us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing a song to close.
Father, you are hope. You are God, love. Easy to forgive. Saved. I pray for Chris now as he comes to bring the message. Um, speak to him through us. Rejuvenate us through your word and through his message. Um, we can learn 